So how do we translate what you're doing into other industries that desperately need it? Two other industries where you, you've worked in particular are uh, known as just all, almost all white in leadership, and that's the practice of law, and that's you know CPA firms or even big ticket consulting firms. Why can't law firms, why can't CPA firms, why can't big ticket consulting firms figure this out, Joe? I appreciate your question. Actually, no one has asked me the, that question that you just asked right now. Um, in, in the, I've probably done 100 podcasts since July. Um, so thank you for actually being brave enough to open up the conversation because that's the one that I don't get the opportunity to say on film like I'm doing right now. And I'm happy to say it, you know. So, um, yeah, th thank you for doing that. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. Today, we're taking you inside the creation of a new financial exchange. That's right. Imagine if you could be in the room when the New York Stock Exchange started, or imagine if you could be with the founder of the NASDAQ and ask him or her any question that you wanted. Well, we've got that opportunity today. My guest today is... Joe Sakela, and he's the founder and CEO of Dream Exchange. Now, this is a stock exchange in formation. How many times do you get to be in the room where it happens when it comes to the formation of a new stock exchange? Mr. Sakela is a world-renowned expert in capital markets and corporate finance. His research on the U.S. capital markets is published in Oxford University's Handbook on IPOs. He's also a trained CPA and a securities lawyer with expertise in small business capital raising. In the late 1990s, Mr. Sakalo was legal counsel for the company that created the first electronic stock exchange to trade stock over the internet. That company went on to become the electronic infrastructure used by the New York Stock Exchange. Mr. Sakala is also a large contributor to a piece of legislation called Main Street Growth Act, the Main Street Growth Act, or H.R. 2899, to create venture stock exchanges. And the U.S. Dream Exchange will be the first venture exchange in the U.S. He's a former civil rights lawyer, and he's passionate about social issues and affecting meaningful change on our society. This week's Necessary Conversation is with Mr. Joseph Sakela. So, Joe, tell us about the inspiration for the Dream Exchange. What led you to, uh, you know, how, how does this idea come about? So, just a little bit of my eclectic background to kind of Forrest Gumping my way through my career uh, to think I could start a stock exchange. I, I really, it, it's a, it's born of archipelago. Uh, so uh, I was in the room once before, as you described it, um, when uh, archipelago was being constructed and born in the late 1990s, uh, just understanding how capital markets go about what they call hunting for liquidity and uh, and really being a small business transactional lawyer and seeing that that wasn't available to most of the most ingenious people in our society. They, it's a, raising capital today is a relationship-driven environment. So if you've got good relationships, you can raise money. 
If you don't, it doesn't matter if you've got the best idea, you don't get the same exposure. So I brought the combination of those things together um, over the last 10 years, really, and started to formulate uh, how we could build a brand new type of exchange. Um, and I've assembled a great team and we're in, we're building the pipes as we speak. And, and really, <clears throat> I also, you know, I started my career really wanting to just be a business lawyer, but I, in, in Chicago in the 1990s, uh, there was just such civil unrest, a bit like we, what we just went through. And so some of my law partners and I got together and we took on a lot of, of pro bono civil rights cases and it just became very passionate. I became really a member of the, the fabric of the black community in Chicago and in fact consulted the Chicago Urban League's Entrepreneurial Center and did a lot of things in the black community here. And um, I just saw all this combination of unique things as a way to forward change in our society um, where capital markets and economic prosperity and the rights of our citizens to have a free and open market really uh, all, all the, the convergence of all my experience in my career really came there together in, in doing this. Um, a little bit my military background too. I was a, uh, I was an armor officer and um, I just learned that you, you really have to have a compassion for other people. The ar army really taught me that, uh, you know, in spite of the fact that it's designed to go out and uh, kill other people. <laughs> um, you know, surprisingly, I love the army. I'm, a, I'm part of the army family as well. And that's been my leadership style has been running the organization as if we're on, we're kind of like, uh, we left the boats on the beach at Normandy and we are headed to Berlin and therein lies the birth of the dream exchange. So we're, we're not, we're not going back into the ocean. We're, we're, we're on a mission to change our society and do it through the dream exchange. And it's kind of how we, we operate. So. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. And second of all, let's talk about the aspirational nature of being the first minority-owned stock exchange. Is it your opinion that this is going to unlock a whole generation of people of color who own their businesses now going public because the playing field is going to be level? Is is that part of the drive behind this? Yeah, it's... It I mean, it has been the drive behind it. Ironically, for more than uh, 13 years or so, I said 10, but it's closer to 13. <laughs> so I I've been screaming this from the ramparts for 13 years, um, ever since we started working with the Chicago Urban League's Entrepreneurial Center. And there are genius uh, minority-owned businesses with products that actually could change our society. And raising capital seemed to be a bit more difficult. There just wasn't a relationship driven. They didn't, the, 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 the Urban League entrepreneurs didn't know the partner at Goldman Sachs. Not that I demonize Goldman Sachs. Listen, this is not about making the rest of the world wrong, but we're in a lane where these two statistics are overwhelming. One is that 92% of all job opportunities happen after a company goes public. So if you have a hundred person employ a uh, hundred persons uh, team, it, it, a public offering will grow your company to a thousand people. That's not me saying that. That's the uh, the Treasury and SEC IPO task force says that. And then you factor in the this this really compelling statistic, which is one black owned company in the 230 year history of the New York Stock Exchange has ever been listed. 
So when you marry those two statistics together, you can see that there's a community of people who don't have a large corporate living wage, meaningful career path jobs. You have to almost leave that community to expand uh, prosperity and opportunity. And we have decided to bring the prosperity and opportunity to the community. So uh, we, we really put our 10 years of shouting this uh, and our, and our, our equity where our mouth is because we are, uh, you know, we're working out cer certain details of the, the, uh, the funding from the, it's a black owned capital group. Um, so, you know, their, their money's coming in and we're working out how to actually fund getting open. But, you know, we put our equity where our mouth is. When we're done, we will be 60% black owned. Um, and that is, I'm very proud of that. Um, you know, if, if the world worked where, hey, become a partner literally take your business and become a partner. And that's what the Dream Exchange will do. People will be able to invest in that community directly. You will become partners with black owned companies through your equity uh, investments. That's what we're all about doing. And I think, yeah, to, to answer the first part of your question is, um, there is a brand new generation of, of people that are in this world. We had over a million reaches through the Black Enterprise uh, um, press release. So Black Enterprise released this last June or July, whenever it went out, and a million people were came through our website. We had thousands of people on our uh, webinars, and I would say the 75 to 90% were young black entrepreneurs, or believe it or not, a tremendous number of black accredited investors going, hey, how, how do I invest? So this is a phenomenon. I didn't you know, a million people speaks volumes. So yeah, this is a, a paradigm shift in American finance that's happening right now. Basically, you're you're unlocking the door to a whole world of capital that many people didn't realize was out there. So do you think what you're doing will then help transcend just this project? And do you think that all of a sudden there's going to be a shift and there will be funds created and an entire segment of capital markets where this element of helping people understand the importance of diversity plays into the capital raising process. So in other words, is there going to be like a, you know, like there are, there are funds that focus just on, you know, tech companies. Could there be funds in the future that just focus on companies that are interested in diversity? Is this going to open the door to a whole world that really could, I mean, money speaks volumes to people. So could this open the door to a whole world where we could truly see the democratization of finance? This is, um, it's already happening. So there are actually a number of, of funds be, that are being dedicated to, uh, you know, direct investment in, in minority owned companies and, and the capital's coming. What we're doing though, is bridging a gap of access. The, the word, when we surveyed to create our brand five years ago, the, the top word that we surveyed was access. And it was access not only to the capital from the uh, business owner, mm. uh, for, for the business owner, it was access to the, um, it was access to the, um, I guess, investor and business owner sharing access to one another. In other words, 
the investors don't see the deals. Um, you know, where do where do you find it? Here is a great example. We have a, a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for, for 14 years. He is a, a black disabled veteran. Okay, he was an army ranger. He literally jumped out of airplanes for a living. And he owns a company that can handle electronic waste recycling. So it's a huge environmental problem. We can't just dump environmental waste in the landfills. There's precious mm. metals, there's glass, there's toxins. And he strips it all out and separates all the metals, recycles them, uh, recycles the glass. And he's got a method where there's this junior college curriculum that's been accepted at several junior colleges, and he can actually transition people from a correctional uh, facility into a career path in his company. Um, he's the dream of, of an investor. He's, he, like I said, a black disabled veteran. Like, how many different, and he's just a great guy. Well, he wants to put thousands of people to work in the Washington, D.C. area. So, um, as we move forward with more and more and more business organizations like that, capital is going to flow to him for a multitude of reasons. And people are using ESG, Environmental Sustainable Green. That's, that's been the mantra. They're actually evaluating uh, major U.S. corporations on a score as to whether they're environmental, sustainable, and green. Well, we're adding D to the ESG. So we, we look at it like DESG. It's diverse. Envir environmental, sustainable, and green. If we do all those things and we take brilliant entrepreneurs and we get them the capital they need to expand products, the foundational principle of the Dream Exchange is when we do that, we actually survive better as a society and as a human race. Um, and I didn't invent that. That is just true. What we, when we give money to things that help us survive better, we get more surviving. And uh, if we, if we isolate a segment of our population and they're not given the same opportunity, well, they're not going to survive very well. And uh, we're, we're the, I think we are the paradigm shift in mm -hmm. this entire environment to make that, to make that change come about. Um, hopefully it happens soon and it happens within my lifetime, but uh, the dream exchange I created for decades to come, this should be an institution like the New York Stock Exchange 30 and 40 and 50 years from now where we've actually changed the very fabric of, of America and, and, our, and our globe by getting money in the hands of people who help, help our society be better off. Okay, so what is needed? What is, the, what is needed to, for you to make sure that when the Dream Exchange launches, it is the you know the most successful launch. You're 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 doing a lot of media, so you you have the outreach to generate awareness. What about from a from an infrastructure standpoint? What is needed to make sure that this is uh, the successful launch that you planned it to be? Right. So there's there's two things. Um, the first thing is the actual state of the art technology that is. You know, financial technology is now, uh, look, we, we transfer money on, on an app <laughs> um, on, in an unprecedented way. So we're playing in a very state-of-the-art technology environment. Um, we're going to be having some announcements. I'll wet everybody's whistle. We have some, some team leaders who we're onboarding now that are globally recognized people who have decided to join our team because they align with our purposes. So we have a small uh, team building the proverbial pipes. 
Um, that's first. We have to build a state-of-the-art system, which we're in. It's in progress. The second thing is doing the media we're doing because we're getting the message and the education out there to find the the small companies and emerging companies that have never considered uh, a, a public market as an option to raise their money. So we're we're. Uh, vetting and beginning the conversation process so that when we do create mm. our listing rules, we will have an inventory. I would like to have an inventory when we launch of sequential initial public offerings in our rules that allow for that to be an instant success. And then the last component is the liquidity. And ironically, that has become perhaps the easiest conversation. Um, I've seen, I've been doing this a long time. I've actually done a lot of uh, kind of what they call diversity contracts for, for businesses, and they tend to be very transactional. Uh, so, you know, a large uh, Fortune 100 has a diversity program and they want to spend money uh, on diverse businesses. They, wanna, they, they want the guy who delivers information technology or who's even delivering office supplies they want to set aside a portion of their spend for a minority-owned company. But what we've done is we've, we've made one company very profitable. And it's, it is, it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's, it's bad. It's just not a global solution to how to get the bar raised and to get the, the kind of the, the tide up. So all of those small minority companies, as well as just entrepreneurial companies, it's not like we are only doing minority companies, but when we flow money into those small companies, right. they'll expand and do better. So we're much more of a global solution. Um, we're, I'm done with transactional half solutions. Um, we, want a, we want a complete solution. So those are the three component parts, the liquidity, the listings, and the state-of-the-art environment where we're connected to, to what's called uh, the national market system or the national best bid, best offer uh, system that was actually created by Archipelago uh, <laughs> 25 years ago. So th those are the key ingredients. And we are we're a hot knife through butter on all three right now. It's going extremely well. Uh, we have big announcements coming of our partnerships in, in the not too distant future. So. Great. That's fantastic. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of the, the mission and purpose of Dream Exchange and how to ensure that that carries on and it becomes as it becomes uh, an institution like the NYSE, like the NASDAQ. So as long as Joe's involved, I know that the Dream Exchange is going to be true to its mission and offer opportunities to businesses that have owners of color, minority owned businesses. But what happens when we got big bucks that start to flow through the Dream Exchange and you decide to, you know, you're going to move on to the next big venture? Is it part of your, you know, your founding bylaws that there is some percentage of businesses that are listed that have to be minority owned? How can we be sure that this is going to be a long term solution? Yes. The, the, the short answer to that is yes. Long term, actually, from the very beginning. Um, this was about creating a, an organization that was not attached to any particular identity. Um, you know, Apple Computer and Steve Jobs are, you know, peanut butter and jelly. Um, the way I've designed everything I'm doing is to make the mission of this and the, and, and, and the corporate organizational governance uh, easily detachable from me personally. 
Um, I like being the founder. I'm having a great time. I love my life right now. Um, it's, you know, I close my eyes. I dream about the dream exchange. I wake up. I'm the dream exchange all day. It's, it's a wonderful, fulfilling thing to do. But even our brand. So when we started, um, we had this complex name. And I went and I asked, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Cheryl Berman. Cheryl was the, the last person to hold the title uh, Chief Creative Officer hmm. for Leo Burnett. Um, and she is the, uh, the force behind the brand of the Dream Exchange. So even mm -hmm. before um, I knew what policy I wanted, I knew the mechanics, I knew the heavy-duty financial mechanical world which is trading and those are all my clients and look i built a help build a stock exchange so we had to take it out of that as a brand so that we would never lose the integrity of the purpose behind why do we need another stock exchange you know so we need this because the purpose is behind look a stock exchange is a very simple exercise matching buyers and sellers electronically is not is even in today's environment as regulated it is it's not super complicated okay it's not a probe on mars so how do we make sure and from the very first conversation to build our brand um we have in in uh kind of indoctrinated into all policy all rules everything we're doing comes the the purposes behind the brand actually our brand personality cheryl was wonderful she actually was, um, I think she's the person who led the team that coined the expression, you deserve a break today. So she's a genius marketing person. And when she was working with us, um, she said, what we have to do is capture the personality of the exchange that lives forever. And she also did this survey where the, our brand's personality, if it were a combination of people, it would be John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and John Lennon. Not a single financial person was identified with what we're doing. Um, because what would, what would they do with a stock exchange? What would the integrity of that message carried forward? And look, um, I have a dream. And ask not what you can do, uh, you know, uh, you know, or what, what, John F. Kennedy, I'm going to butcher his, his, the quote, you know, ask what you can do for your country. That's what would be the integrity of, of what we are, are moving forward doing. Imagine that John Lennon, you know, you, we're all about what those three people would take a viewpoint of the financial markets. And then we're bringing in the mechanics. We're bringing in the expertise of, yeah, we have limit orders. We have, uh, we have, you know, mechanics. Um, so, and we're actually, you know, some of the things that have been happening recently, we have ideas on how to actually tr change trade mechanics in the kind of the emerging company environment to sort of put a stop to some of like recently the, the GameStop Robinhood stuff. Um, we have ideas on how to change market rules that will help, uh, you know, alleviate some of those problems for the small for the small business. So that's the integrity of it. It'll live yeah, beyond so, me. So, so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So um, 
first, let's start with volume, right? Doesn't there need to be a significant amount of volume so that your that we can ensure that there's that there's no manipulation happening? And how do you how do you plan on building that volume to start? Right. So right now, okay, what we have we and that's where the Main Street Growth Act kind of weighs in. It's a brand new law. Believe it or not, that law was introduced in 2018. Actually, it was introduced in 2016 to Congress, and it got it went nowhere. And then when our team started to collaborate and deliver our research to Congress, um, we realized that there are specialized trading tiers that are needed and a new type of exchange called a venture exchange. So we're not only building a national market exchange, we're building a, a brand new type of stock exchange called a venture exchange. And what that will allow for is customized rules that are protect investors, but simultaneously uh, protect the emerging company from perhaps, you know, like we have short selling. You know, if you if you look at sh a short sale and I don't know what the sophistication of the whole audience is, but I, I actually have a webinar where I go in detail on this topic where I explain the mechanics of short selling. Now, a short sale in the big market. It, it's not so horrible. If you want to short IBM, you, you know, you're not going to put IBM out of business or, or Chase or Apple. They have a trillion dollar balance sheet at Apple. You're not going to hurt them by thinking that price is going to decline in the short term. So you short them. Fine. But when you do that to an extremely small public company, uh, some with small some small public companies, if it weren't for bad news, there'd be no news. So if you're going to trade off a of bad news, you're just hurting the effort of a good company, perhaps, to, to maintain its, its equity share value. So we need a customized marketplace. Now that law, um, I actually went and met with every member of the House Financial Services Committee, and I, I've probably had 300 congressional and Senate meetings over the last three years. And we were able to get 56 members of the House Financial Services Committee to vote 56 to zero to move that that bill to the floor and then 435 members of the house voted 435 to 0 to move it to the senate and it was attached to the 2018 appropriations law that never passed congress <laughs> so and the senate voted 99 to 0 and was never taken out so we have this consensus which wow. is yeah so we're we're going to we're we're taking another run at it this year we already know we're kind of baked um Congresswoman Maxine Waters has been, and her team, she's the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, she's been nothing but helpful. Um, she sees this as a way to help the small business constituents as a tax-free, look, we're not going to put this on the taxpayers, let's invest in the businesses, let's get capital to them. So those tr customized trading tiers, especially in a venture exchange, will allow for all the stock exchanges as a set of rules. So it'll be customized rules to assure that we have uh, trading volumes and we monitor certain volumes and limitations on it so there's no pump and dump schemes like there has been in the over-the-counter markets so that the companies are properly vetted before they list so that the, uh, the, the book runners and the direct market makers can actually make money. We want intermediaries to make money. And that will interest them like it was in the 70s and the 80s. Hey, there's a new IPO. You don't hear that anymore. I can get you in early on a new IPO. What we have is unicorns that are worth billions, 
And by the time they generally reach the public market, the wealth creation of getting in early has been uh, harvested. And you can get in an IPO and hopefully it will go up. But it, what, it's not like, um, you know, Microsoft was a $60 million IPO in the mid 80s. What, whatever genius decided to buy and hold from 1986 to today is quite wealthy. And we want to restore that wealth creation to the investor and, the, and how many Microsofts can we create in this uh, incubator stock exchange environment? That's our goal. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how the how the big boys view you right now. What's what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from the NYSE, the Nasdaq? Are they? Uh, I mean, based on what you told me about the legislation, you know, you don't you don't get unanimous legislation passing if there's somebody lobbying on the other side. So, do you think it's because? they don't take you seriously or do you think it's because they're, you know, the, I mean, I'd love to believe that they think this is an idea whose time has come, but my, my history in business just tells me that they're probably just saying, Oh, go ahead and have your little exchange. We'll see how that goes. Which is it? Um, so it's, it's a little bit of both. I think that we have, um, when we started, uh, like working with Congress about five years ago, um, it was kind of we were kind of the mosquito at the uh, barbecue um it's like oh there's a mosquito and um we we've kind of become the uh, annoying um you know seagull <laughs> at this point so there's a little bit of that but um i would i'd actually give kudos so the nasdaq is overwhelmingly cooperative and uh very they've got all their weight alongside ours um, and it's been a wonderful experience we're we're quite collaborative with the nasdaq people um, everyone agrees that the market that we're entering is so enormous that we can actually create our brand in our market and almost never overlap the uh the nasdaq or the new york stock exchange the New York Stock Exchange and the ICE, uh, the Intercontinental Exchange uh, Group that owns the New York Stock Exchange, they have a little bit more of the viewpoint of, oh yeah, go have your little exchange. You know, the, the New York Stock Exchange is a national treasure. It's actually <laughs> um, where a company wants to be listed on on that, you know, uh, you know, I guess historic environment, and they're going to be the conventional route. We're not taking that away from anyone. So they don't view us as, as an issue at all. Um, to the extent that in the electronic volume environment, there is only one, you know, there's, there's a, a, a pie. And there are now seven exchanges uh, in the country. Um, there have been three exchanges, new exchanges born last year. Um, the members exchange is a extremely exciting exchange. Um, I, I like them a lot. They've been... You know, I had a, a couple of getting to know you's maybe more than a year ago. They, they're like more power to you. They're, and here's what's interesting. It's a matter of whether you intend to compete on volume and data sales or on new listings. So the NASDAQ controls probably 75% of IPOs. That's if you're going public today, generally you're going to the NASDAQ. Um, they don't care because those billion dollar IPOs are not the dream exchanges sweet spot. We're 100 to $500 million market cap companies. 
that will probably, you know, they'll either stay on the Dream Exchange or they'll graduate to the NASDAQ or NYSE. So we've become a complementary exchange for them. Um, the other exchanges like the CBOE, um, the Investors Exchange, Members Exchange, they're not even attempting to compete for listings with NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. So um, that environment is very benign. No one's given us any trouble. And I think the, the fact that we're minority owned and we're dedicated to a certain uh, philosophical segment that it may be complex for us. There may be, while well, we're, we're, we're searching for fewer companies that are uh, viable, that, that makes our business plan a bit more difficult, but it also makes it less interesting to what you just said. There, I, have, I share your cynicism. I've been raising money uh, for, for 30 years, and uh, there are, we're, we're paradigm shifting certain of the old rules. Greed is good. Um, dog eat dog world, uh, you know, every man for himself, zero sum game. We believe that in the small investing market, and I've this I've personally experienced this that a good group of investors who love the company, and a good group of management who are like literally dedicated, like they're on a religious mission to establishing and growing a company, and a good product. When you get those three combinations, uh, zero sum game, dog eat dog, it doesn't apply. Everybody just wants to get the job done, and those are the—they give birth to the best ideas in our society. Um, so profitability. One of our webinars discusses how to put a value on your business when you don't have profits. How do you? How does a venture capital mm. company do that? I have two webinars that discuss why Tesla Motors didn't make money until last July, but is somehow the largest auto manufacturer in the world. <laughs> Um, well, if you have the idea to pro mass produce electronic cars, you're worth a lot of money and we're not really looking at your, 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 your EBITDA. We don't care. Get that guy successful and eventually my, my returns from the appreciation of my stock price and the profitability someday will all make me a wise investor. We need to take that into a micro environment. And that's, that's what the Dream Exchange is all about doing, finding the next Tesla before it's Tesla. That's great. That's fantastic. So those webinars, can we find them at uh, dreamx.com? That's D-R-E-A-M-E-X.com. Are the yeah. webinars there? Yeah. So there are links uh, to the webinars, but a lot of them are just on YouTube. <coughs> so there's a kind of a Dream, Dream Exchange channel on YouTube. So all of our full videos okay. are, are there, not the promotional ones. So those are each like an hour in duration um, and very informative if you're a small business owner to check out uh, how to how to put a how to price your your investment um, and your equity in a brand new way that I've been doing for a very long time. So um, yeah, w YouTube is probably easier to get to, but if you go through our website, all the links are there uh, to to be able to access the information. All right, we're gonna put all that we'll put all that in the show notes for folks. All right, Joe, let's let's spend just a couple of minutes talking about uh, a subject that is important to me. It's important to my listeners, and that is uh, diversity and diversity in particularly in professional services. So we we're in a time now that is um, that's really tough. And it's look, 
I, I think it's tough because all of a sudden, I, the last five years, there's all this racism that was always there has now hit us in the face. And we have to, I think we have to have conversations about the way we communicate, how we reevaluate the way we look at the world, because it, you know, a lot of people who are like me thought, well, we elected Barack Obama president. Well, that's over now, right? Everything's got to be fine. And it wasn't. And I was ignorant. I was foolish. I was stupid for thinking that. So talk to me about the challenges now in doing what you're doing in the current environment. Is it just a matter of, hey, this was there all the time and now it's in our face, so let's have conversations about it? Or has it actually gotten worse? Um, no, this, is, uh, this has been there. This is not new. <laughs> uh, it's ironic because my first webinars and first podcasts and uh, you know I was on I've been on Fox News and in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal talking about this for the last you know 10 months and it I would the first thing I would say is he's like why you know a black stock black owned stock exchange and and I and I used to think you're only paying attention to me now about something I've been saying for 15 years <laughs> because of the unrest in our society that boiled over. And the, the, this is absolutely something that by my own personal experience and my, my personal views uh, is true for me. And that is that, um, you know, I grew up in North Austin in Chicago. Uh, I, I, you know, when I was six and seven years old and went across the street into the park to play with my friends, well, half of my friends were black. So for me, it took, a, it actually took an educational process recognizing because I wasn't, I, I just wasn't trained that way by my parents. I didn't have a distinguishing factor of uh, that person is better or worse, or a, that's where prejudice comes in. Seeing them, seeing a different person, look, I'm, I'm white, uh, <laughs> white skin, but seeing differences and then using differences to make decisions has historically been something and you you hit the nail on the head i think there were a, there was a certain segment of the population who in fact had kind of an innate racism and they thought okay we elected a black, black president ali ali umption free uh you know as if that was the panacea for all of societal ills. And all it did was demonstrate it. We have successful black entertainers. We have successful black um, athletes. We actually have a tremendous number of successful black political figures. And what, what are we missing? We're not actually celebrating the brilliance of the business and professional community of black people it's they're hidden uh there, there isn't a wow there's a captain of industry and the black community has a seat at the table if you want to call it which is what the dream exchange i think represents to our society and this goes back to my like i said this is a deeply personal thing because i began to recognize and my, my i have very good friends one of our key advisors 
uh, and actually a member of our capital group now, of the, of the Black-owned capital group, um, is Dwayne Kyles. His father was uh, Reverend Samuel Kyles. He was standing next to Martin Luther King when he was assassinated. And he's been my friend for 20 years. He's my daughter, he was godfather. He's um, among my best friends in my life, long before this was even a, 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 a ethereal idea. And one of the things that he and I have discussed you know, often is the origin of where we come from and a solution to correcting you know, a 150-year-old problem, maybe perhaps a 400-year-old problem. And that 150-year-old problem is, you know, we went, great, uh, the 13th Amendment has been enacted, you're on your own. Well, that doesn't really take full responsibility as a society for what was created, okay? And the, the place that has been, we've fought through all of the educational and all, you know, we have, we fought through many, many, many uh, wars fighting through it. And the one area that has not in, indoctrinated itself into the fabric of our society is economic prosperity in communities where uh, you're just less inclined to not view society as something that's hurting you. And, I, and I've said it, I'm a, I'm a veteran, my brother's a veteran, my father had four bronze battle stars during World War II. Um, I happen to understand people who, who see the flag as a symbol of something suppressing them. It doesn't bother me that someone would have that viewpoint. It doesn't bother me at all. And for me, uh, rather patriotic, I, I have a disabled veteran hand-carved flag <laughs> over my shoulder because one of my friends owns a company that makes hand-carved flags. When they handed my mother the flag off of my father's casket and, and, and the soldier announced on behalf of a grateful nation, I'm giving you this flag. Well, that flag to me became symbolic of my dad. So, but simultaneously, I'm not offended when someone is saying, look, the system itself is doing something to suppress a segment of our society. And if we don't fix it, look, you, you, want, more, you want more civil unrest? Let's just keep not fixing the same old problem. So I'm here with a genuine solution. I'm here with a genuine piece of the mm. American pie and the fabric of what it means to be free in a free and open market. And what's in interesting about that is when we resolve that in the, the black community, it's, it's black, Hispanic, and Asian we, across the board in general, but more pronounced in the black community. When we resolve that, we actually are all freer. Um, and And the changing of that viewpoint is going to be done in conversations like this where we're actually talking about a real solution, real opportunity, not symbolic opportunity. And we're changing from symbolism to real opportunity in the capital markets. When Branch Rickey uh, got Jackie Robinson to play baseball, that, that was a real solution. We could have had all the symbolic solutions before that, but now you wouldn't say, oh, you know, if you're a good baseball player and you're black, you can't become a major leaguer, right? Well, I want it to be, if you're a black entrepreneur and a black business owner, you have exactly the same opportunity as every other person in this country by virtue of the fact that 
we became actually Bill Bill Ellison, who was one of the early investors. He said, uh, "The Dream Exchange is the branch Ricky of finance. We are going to come in and actually forever change this industry and contribute to to creating true equality in our society." And what's funny, sorry, you put a nickel in me. I love my what I do. Um, I, I was on a call the other day with one of our staff. Gus Tucker is a wonderful guy. He works for us. Um, he, he was actually one of the leaders of the uh, Urban League's entrepreneurial program. And he called me later and he called our chief operating officer. He said, you know, I was on a call and there were three black guys and two white guys. And in my career, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> there were three black professionals creating a stock exchange <laughs> and more black people were on the call than white people. He goes, that hasn't been happening to me for the last 30 years. Um, and that made me feel like that's my pay. That's that. This is the the actual. It's actually an economic reward to me. Um, I could have done a lot of other things. I, I have a lawyer CPA. I could have made a lot of money. I, I think my wife would have perhaps. <laughs> well, she certainly would have bought nicer things over the years. Um, but you know, I'm 15 years in this, and I'm not giving up until we make this change. Uh, we're going to do it, and I think society, after this last year is now ready to receive the communication that I'm delivering and not look at me and, and, and our group and the people we're adding to the group as if somehow it's sort of like a pat on the head. This is not a pat on the head. This is real change. This is be ready because there are going to be a, a paradigm shift in finance in a way that has never happened in the 230 year history of our country. It's happening now. And I hope we're at the tip of that spear. I'm willing to, I'm willing to be the tip of that, that arrow that makes this change um, for everyone. So how do we translate what you're doing into other industries that desperately need it? Two other industries where you, you've worked in particular are uh, known as just all almost all white in leadership and that's the practice of law and that's you know CPA firms or even big ticket consulting firms you know years ago uh, when I was when I was at a big ticket consulting company myself one of my clients was a women's wear retailer and it was a women's wear retailer that you know candidly you could tell just by walking by their stores was predominantly the the company itself was predominantly white all the employees in the stores were white you know the leadership all throughout the ranks was white and so they're they're a big client of mine i get called in and they said dave we have a diversity initiative going on how do we how do we get more black managers in our stores and now joe here's what was happening okay the diversity initiative came from the fact that they were opening a store on 125th street in harlem okay that that was their diversity initiative they're like oh my god we are you know the store is going to open in two weeks and, and we don't have a black manager what do we do so i said well let's look at your first let's look at your board of directors all white let's look at your management committee all white let's look at the president of each of your brands all white let's look at your division managers okay there's there are a couple of uh, a couple of latin division managers that's great but they're in puerto rico Right. So, you know, you want people to come work for your company when they have no clear career path. 
Joe, you know, that was like 20 years ago, okay? So now, you know, retail, they, they got it, right? People of color have spending power, so there a lot of retail has figured, it, figured this out. Why can't law firms, why can't CPA firms, why can't big ticket consulting firms figure this out, Joe? Yeah, you're you're uh, you're hitting on there's there's uh, you're hitting on the major obstacle, okay? Which you, we were talking about exchange obstacles. Those are kind of easy. I think we're going to easily overcome them. The major obstacle, and uh, I think that <clears throat> excuse me, I think that Dwayne would uh, generally agree with what I'm saying, which is um, we're changing the conversation at the other end of, of the spectrum, which is we're going in, in the, in the black community and changing the conversation where a new generation of people who are interested in wealth creation are getting an educational process coupled with a place to actually apply what they've learned. So we're not just saying, okay, because I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm amazed at the extremely talented black professionals in finance that I've now like have, have come out everywhere. Okay. Like, wow, I didn't even know he existed and this woman exists. And so those people are now, oh, wait, we now have a hub where as we apply this in the professional services community that's surrounding what we do now think about what you just said you cannot go public without a cpa firm you cannot go public without a law firm you cannot go public without a, a, a some form of intermediary although we're lessening the investment banking money uh con consideration to more professional services consultive intermediaries okay so what what is going to happen is as we see these black owned companies getting getting capital well naturally the service providing of that and the choice of hiring those uh you know those i guess high powered you know the thoroughbred consultant who comes in and he says like gosh we need that guy well we opened up communication lines that say that mckenzie associates consultant um the black community now will have another side of, of educational process. Because if there's no black owned company, um, well, are you really, if you're not a black owned company, the CEO and the board, you just named it, the CEO, the board, the, there, there's not, oh, wait a minute, do we have a, a black owned law firm? Do we have a black lawyer? Do we have a black accountant? Well, if you, it's a sequence of problems, which is if the company isn't there, they're not hiring the professional. So now when we, we, we go earlier on the sequence and we actually get corporate America that is going to be able to build teams through the companies we're working with, well, naturally, that may actually be where diversity hiring becomes like what I'm creating. I, it's actually already happening where, well, there are more black professionals on this call than white professionals. Oh, well, I, I don't actually think about it. It's funny because um, I actually talked to, to my, my, my group is, you know, we have, um, consultive process with, with what I think are deep rooted, like the integrity of civil rights, you know, Reverend Kyle's, in my opinion, 
if you Google him, he's a wonderful man. There's a documentary about his life. He was a Baptist preacher in in uh, Memphis, and the story, you know was marching with with Martin Luther King. The integrity of that is within our group. And the interesting observation was, um, there was a, a looking askance at it if you made money. Like one of the guys said, you know, when I was growing up, and we went to church on Sunday. And there was a, a you know a, a successful black business person. Some of the some of the the congregation would go. Mm, they look askance at that guy. How did you make your money? How did you make that money? And it was like a, it was money was sort of suspect. That's not true for this new generation of of, of successful mm. uh, people. They're going. Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to participate in the IPO of of the the next big thing. And I'm actually creating the next big thing. And we're educating them on the public capital markets because the vast power of the American public capital markets being brought to bear upon this problem that has been there for hundreds of years is the, this is just my personal opinion, it's the final stage that kind of will make this become gossamer. It's just going to go away because the prosperity will be there. And I, I said, my ancestors came here from Italy uh, on a boat in, in the, the, you know, 1905. And my grandfather opened a store. And, uh, you know, we were of modest means my whole life. He, he you know, that's where we come from, an gro Italian grocer in Chicago. Um, and he bought a house. And when I talked to some of my black friends, they're going, well, my great-grandfather was a slave. So we have these... Um, varying degrees of indoctrination into the fabric of America. And what we have in the black community is a group that has not necessarily come through with economic prosperity. In, in fact, if anything, their labor was used to build prosperity for others. And we've never, I'm just calling the problem what it is. I'm pointing at it. It looks like a duck. It walks like a duck. It's a duck. If, unless we solve that, we will never be a free society. We will never have the safety and security and true freedom that exists in a free and open market system. It just won't exist. So that's really the purpose. The Dream Exchange's purposes are aligned with that. And, and I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised in the future as to the, the individuals, celebrity uh, black people who are on our communication lines right now going, you got it. <laughs> we, we agree with what the Dream Exchange is saying. So that is where those black professionals are going to come from. They're going to be chosen in an environment because it actually will be more colorblind. Because why not have a, why not? Like, instead of, and so my, the punchline to this is, I said, don't we need a diversity manager? Don't we? Don't we need the job title of diversity manager in our company? And um, one of the guys was laughing. He said, mm. we are the diversity manager for the country. No one's worried about whether you're going to hire someone who's back, Joe. <laughs> Nobody's concerned about whether the dream exchange is true to its purposes in being diverse. So don't worry about diversity manager. We're just hiring everybody that can put this exchange there. And, and we have this. We just... I feel like I have a kind of a stable of thoroughbred horses waiting to race and we are in good shape. I just want to, I hope I have enough energy in my little horse <laughs> to finish the race. 
Um, but that's that's where it's going to come from. These black professionals in finance, consulting, law, accounting, um, they're going to have opportunity that currently does not exist in the capital markets and rain prosperity and wealth upon upon a segment of society that just hasn't had it. So I appreciate your question. Actually, no one has asked me the, that question that you just asked right now. Um, in, in the, I've probably done a hundred podcasts since July. Um, so thank you for actually being brave enough to open up the conversation because that's the one that I don't get the opportunity to say on film like I'm doing right now. And I'm happy to say it, you know? So, um, yeah, thank, thank you for doing that for, for the dream exchange. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, let me just say Godspeed to you and to the Dream Exchange because it's time has come and I know you've got a long road ahead of you, but uh, I'm, I'm proud, I'm honored that we could be a part of having this conversation with you. And I'm hoping that five years from now, seven years from now, you come back on and we're talking about how this success has, has exceeded even your expectations. You're awesome, Dave. Thank you. So, folks, if you want to find out more about Dream Exchange, go to dreamx.com, D-R-E-A-M-E-X.com. We're also going to put the YouTube link in the show notes so you can see those webinars that Joe was talking about. I'm also going to put some information about Joe up there. Um, Joe, is, uh, he's had an incredible career, and from talking to him today, you get the feeling that he's kind of just getting started. So my guest today was Joe Sikela, and he is the founder and the CEO of Dream Exchange, a stock market that is in formation. It's a stock exchange that's in formation. This is the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and we're here every single day, and we have conversations that take you inside. You get inside the business strategy, we share insider business secrets, and we also cut through all the inside BS that may be holding you back. More great conversations like this are to come. Join me back here again tomorrow. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.